Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Hey, I want to welcome you to episode 129. You're in for a treat today. We welcome Claude Silver back to the podcast, and we welcome Cody Royal here for the very first time. I've known Claude for some time now. As a matter of fact, you may have heard when we were doing the top 10 countdown of 2019, the conversation I had with Claude came in at number three. And as one listener said, give it time, it'll reach number one. I'm confident of that because it was just such a powerful conversation. Every conversation with Claude is a powerful conversation. So Claude and I had been talking about doing another conversation for the podcast, and we wanted to mix it up a bit and add a third voice. Then a few weeks back, a friend from the UK on Twitter tagged Cody Royal and I in a tweet that allowed us to meet We jumped on a call later that same day, started talking. I found out Cody knew Claude, and Cody hosts a podcast, and he always does three people in the conversation. I thought, well, maybe Cody's the person to join us. Sure enough, he was. So we started kicking around this idea. What if the three of us join this conversation? And during that time is when the clarity arrived. Of, for me about this podcast, that this podcast is celebrating the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. And these are two people, Cody and Claude, also travel that road and inspire others to do the same. And of course, it's our hope that this conversation inspires you on your journey. Let's join. Well, you are in for a treat today. On this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast, we are welcoming back Claude Silver to the podcast. She's no stranger to you all. And for the first time, we're welcoming Cody Royal to the podcast. So say hello, Cody, Claude. Hey, all. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me, Kevin. (laughs) Kevin, it's been fantastic. I'm glad we've been able to connect. And hello from Toronto, Canada. Yeah. Wow. So let me ask this to help people get to know you. I think everybody in the world knows Claude, but that's just not true. Not everybody does yet, but they will soon. I don't know about Cody, but you've both been introduced in all kinds of ways. I'm sure of that. Some that were embarrassing to you, you know, and some you're like, really? Who are they talking about? But what's one of your favorite ways to be introduced or what's a favorite thing you like to be included in your introduction? So you get to introduce yourself in your favorite way what would you like us to know about you we'll let you go you want to go first cody cody everyone in the world knows you claude so why don't you start <laughs> okay i have a wicked sense of humor i love trance music and live music i love going to gigs alone i am addicted to snowboarding fast driving fast and i am just jonesing to get back on a wakeboard. I've now mastered about a three foot jump, but that's about it. So I am a person that really, um, I have a reckless streak that I really try to keep in check. And my outlets are pretty much like doing things that are kind of speedish related. 
and I think that's why I like trance music quite a bit too. So those are the things about me that I don't talk about much. People that really know me know that about me. And now I'm really happy if a hundred other people know that. So send me any of your trance playlists on Spotify and I will devour them. I promise. <laughs> and my favorite movie, I would say my favorite, like funny movie is wedding crashers. So that should give you an idea of my sense of humor. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I love that you have a wicked sense of humor. So Cody, tell us about you. Me? Well, my bag is sports and that's kind of the easy one to go to. It's all over my profiles. It's all I really talk about. But every time in my head, I picture all of the photos that my mother has of me and I am always wearing a jersey and I have a ball in my hand. And just to be able to, I'm from Australia, as you can probably tell by my accent. And so to live in North America amongst all of this professional sport and amateur sport that's around, it's on 364 days of the year. To me, that is just the most eye-popping thing a young kid from Melbourne, Australia could ever think of. So I actually get introduced kind of the way that, that I want to. It's mostly about sport and at parties when I'm not on the dance floor with the techno music <laughs> like you like, Claude, I'll be at the back of the room having a chat to someone about something about sport. Hmm. All right. All right. So there's something I do, Claude knows this, and that's that I always love to ground conversations in gratitude. But I thought, gosh, since there are three of us here, I want to do this a little differently. When we've hosted the Gratitude Challenge, there's one challenge we have that we call phone a friend. And this has been one of the most enlightening challenges, even for me to do. And that is to ask somebody else, if you were me, what would you be grateful for? Wow. And it's amazing what the insights happen. So I just thought, gosh, it'd be fun. So Cody, if you were Claude Silver, what would you be grateful for? I would be grateful for the fact that I get to work in an organization that my leadership group, my leader identifies as a, a human resource organization over and over and over again. To explain my background, I study leadership, coaching, culture in professional sports and how we can take those learnings and apply them to the business world. And so this is my bag. I love this. This is why we're, the three of us are all on the same page with a lot of this is talent is so important. Human beings are so important. Heart is so important. And so to see someone at such a high level come out and say, yes, we need to hit our budgets. Yes, we need to sell things. But this is a, an HR organization primarily. I would be so, so grateful to be able to work in that environment and do that day to day and not have it be lip service because I see a trend at the moment where everyone's coming out with their start with why values and everyone values people, but I'm not convinced that that flows down to the actual behaviors on a day-to-day -day level. So that would be my top line grateful. And what did you think hearing that, Claude? Wow. I'm so mesmerized with the way you conjugated and translated Gary's vision and what he says in terms of us being an HR organization, people organization first, you hit the head on the nail and it almost like it really made my eyes water in terms of, yes, I am thankful for that. And it's something I probably take for granted because I'm able to be in this ecosystem day in and day out. And it's just is, mm. but to hear someone that I respect remind me of it. 
that's not Gary hmm. makes me even more awake to it. And really, my eyes are really watering with joy and with pride that I do actually get to work within this every single day and push the envelope and push the needle forward in in this industry, but quite frankly, in the world in terms of bringing more kindness mm. into the workplaces and more humanity. So thank you for reminding me. And not pushing uphill. Not pushing uphill. It's very true. So, Claude, if you were Cody, what would you be grateful for? If I was Cody, the things that I would be grateful for would be the marriage of physicality and heart mm -hmm. and what that has given you every single day, that you can both enjoy sense of teamwork and camaraderie and the physicality of being able to throw a ball down the line or hit a ball across the field, but also like the sense of pride and the sense of camaraderie and trust and respect that the teams in which you coach and the teams in which you've been on also exude. So not just the sheer brute force, but also the marriage of this wonderful thing called heart, which is actually what allows us to breathe enough oxygen to then throw a ball across the field. You know what I'm saying. And I don't even know if that's what you do in rugby, but, <laughs> and you know what, Cody, I think you have that or else uh, I don't think we would have been talking. So Cody, how did that strike you hearing that? It's funny. I've been, Claude and I are friends off air, but yesterday I reread a blog of mine from a couple of years ago, actually talking about that and talking about <laughs> the blog was called why you're wrong about a locker room culture. And it was actually talking about that mixture of physicality and, and people kind of stop there in their thinking. They think it's all smutty jokes and brute force, but underneath that, which is where I try to live, and where I try to manipulate the environment is very heartfelt, raw, tends to get talked about with the military, but it does exist in my world as well. There's a lot of heartfelt messaging. There's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of things that are just bubbling under the surface that we don't tend to think about because again, men have dominated sport. We tend to think about the masculine side of that. And that's starting to change, which I'm hoping to be one of the pioneers in and bringing a lot of that change. So thanks, Claude. Yeah, you're welcome, buddy. Well, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, so we had a conversation that I'd kind of imagined in my mind of where we might go with this. And then right before we hit record. Claude ruined it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think Claude infused more life and more heart into it than it would have had is what I think. <laughs> so I just asked the question. I'm just going to ask it again. Based on what's been happening in your work, your world, your life, your heart today, this week, this month, whatever this time period is, just what's the most important thing that you want to talk about today? I want to talk about what our people on our teams, in our offices, in our lives are actually saying when they 
come to us for feedback or they come to us to want to improve their skills. And the underlying sentiment that I've gotten are these three words, which is help me grow, mm. help me grow, help me learn, help me improve. And I believe that because there's so much chit chat and chatter about whatever it is they want to improve on or whatever that metric is or whatever that goal is, I do think that sometimes we just forget those three words, the simplicity of them, which is help me blank. Mm. It takes a lot of courage for someone to actually say help me mm. because what that is inferring potentially is I'm not there yet. and what I say to that is, yeah, that's amazing. You're not there yet. Because in your journey to get there, you're going to have so many micro journeys, mm. so many moments, so many ahas, so many skin knees. And that's what you're going to remember in life. Not that you hit the brass ring. Because after you hit that brass ring, right, there's going to be another. I mean, I think Cody, speaking of sport, can probably speak to this in a, such a different way than me. When I'm inferring when someone gets that promotion because they've grown X amount or they get a bonus because they hit certain metrics. But just help me grow. There are three very sweet, sweet words. Okay. But before I bring Cody in, I want to ask something, Claude, because I think the way I heard you saying this originally is those may not be the words the people you're talking to are using. Right. That is what I said. Yeah. But that's the underlying thing. That's yeah. what they're wanting. That's what they're expressing. So what did it take for you to discover that was the words that, that's the cry of the heart. Let's just say it like that. Yeah. Here are things I'm articulating, but the cry of my heart is help me grow. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me of what I actually said. I am listening every single day to people that are wanting to get promotions or they're wanting recognition or they're wanting to be put on a certain team. And in order to do that, they are saying, my manager hasn't shown me this. Or, wow, I've been really, really excited that I just started 90 days ago and people really want to help me out and show me the ropes. But what I'm taking from that is, People want to get from point A to point B, and what are we doing to assist them, to guide them, to coach them, to be their Sherpa in getting there? So really, it's give me something I can feel proud of is something I hear, or I hear, I never got that feedback, Claude. Mm. Or I hear, well, I was put on a performance plan and I improved, so why am I still talking to you? So distill all that down and it's like help me get better help me get better cody do you hear this in your circles this is all i hear <laughs> this is where i'm really glad that we are having conversations every day about coaching we're not having conversations about management so much anymore and performance plans and things that we've traditionally associated particularly in the business world with moving up the chain where we're having conversations around mastery and mastery of craft. And that is the sports world. That's why we practice. 
That's why every single day the Seattle Seahawks are out there five days a week. They're practicing over and over and over again. And, and the way I described it when we were talking about this beforehand was there's two things to this that I see is people want, we call it the game slows down. So if you ever watch an athlete improve from when they're young, when they're young, the game is very fast. Mm. The fast ball is really, really fast when you're 19. But then you see a 1,000 of them. You see 2,000 of them. You see 3,000 of them. You've played in all the, the, the baseball parks in North America and you know that the sound of the crowd, the game starts to slow down once you've seen it. Mm. And so the role of a coach is to help people get to that narrative first that the game slows down. And yes, there's a skill component to that, but there's also a removing of barriers component to that, which coaches in sport do that don't really see the traditional idea of a manager in the workplace. do. How do I remove the barriers to help this person have their skill slow down? The second part of that is I just see where, you know, we're trying to apply like one methodology to make that happen. Traditionally, that's been productivity make cold calls, make meetings, get sales. That's improvement. But what Claude was talking about there is mastery. How do I master all of these things so that I'm personally happy with the work that I do and I feel like I've mastered it in my head as well. I'm not just getting the figures on the dashboard. In my mind, the stories that I tell myself are that I am good at this and that I do great work. That's where we need to be headed. I think I'm going to just interject. I love what you just said, Cody. And I think it's interesting with some of the population that I work with, which are Gen Z and millennials, that oftentimes they have different stories in their heads that are contradictory. And so it's my job, coach's job, potentially manager's job to help them see what the truth is. So one message is going to be, I'm an imposter. I'm going to get found out. I'm not smarter than Jack over there. I'm not smarter than Jill. The other one is, I'm smarter than Jack. I came here for a reason. I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to make it rain. And sometimes they dovetail, and sometimes one is louder than the other. And I think either one of them being too loud is going to be a detriment to that person. Yeah. And it's our job to help them hear, find the truth, and then get them on that path so that the trajectory is of, of great success, mind, body, and soul. Okay. I want to come back to that in just a moment, Claude. But before we do, Cody, I was intrigued as I was listening to you. You used mastery when you got to the number two point. But actually, I thought the way you described number one slowing down the game was probably one of the better definitions of mastery that I've heard, right? It's not so much what I've done to develop my skill, but because I've developed my skill, I now experience the environment differently. Yes. And I thought, wow, that's a lens into mastery that I don't think I've thought of before or really looked at that much. So thanks for sharing that because it's kind of like, wow, the game changes because you've grown, you've developed, and you see the game differently. You experience it differently. And it's not just about your skill. It's about how you're able to compete or how you're able to show up in the environment. Wow. I love that. 
Claude, does that register with you on this different thought of mastery? Yeah, it does. I was actually thinking of Gary the whole entire time. So Gary is not an ad man. He's a salesman. He's an entrepreneur, but he's full of heart. And so he's had to master this game of advertising, marketing, and he had to catch up quite quickly, if you will. As he was doing that, as someone that's known him for five and a half years, I've also seen him master this game of EQ, this world of EQ. And that's someone that already came into the world very gifted with emotional intelligence and having those much more in tune with the softer skills, if you will. But watching him even master that has really calmed this person down. And I think, you know, I use the word calm down as Cody kind of said, slowed down. It's not a sprint. Just not, it's all happening because he's extremely self-aware and the rest is kind of like, you know, the icing on the cake now in many ways. Okay. So there's a question here that may be, may be two parts of one question. I don't think it's two questions, but I'll let you decide and you can answer however you want. But what one is what you were talking about, Claude, just a moment ago about the story. First off, how do you make it safe? First part, how do you make it safe for people to share that part of the story? And then how do you help them begin to see what's truth or fiction Mm -hmm. in the story and begin to change it? So the way I do anything is just to hold space and to really be an extremely calming force for someone and have an atmosphere where people can feel physically and psychologically safe. And that is whether or not it's happening in my office or whether or not that's happening anywhere I'm at. In order to do that, I also have to check myself because it's never going to be about me. I just want someone to feel as though they are safe enough with me and they have enough of a connection with me. They can talk about anything. And the things they talk about are have to do with work and have to do with outside of work, which is, and it's an honor just to be able to do that. It's an honor just to be able to hear, hear them speak. I think a lot of that safety or them feeling comfortable or taking the risk is also because they're getting to know me. They know me. I'm public. I'll talk about my stuff. So living by example and being a spirit of inspiration to them in some way, shape or form, or someone that just has a lot more life experience than the average employee here is something that I think is very helpful too. It's very, very what you see is what you get. And that's the joy of working at this company in particular that I not only work for and with a person that is very what you see is what you get, but I'm very what you see is what you get. Hmm. So that just removes the barriers and the pretense of like, oh my God, I'm going to go talk to, no, you're just going to talk to me. It's great. It's cool. So then the way in is many different ways. I can ask them questions such as, what do you think your strengths are? What are your weaknesses? How are we setting you up to succeed with those strengths? I play a big value exercise game on the floor here. I play cards with people for about 30 minutes each person, which is amazing. They go through a bunch of cards that have their values on them. And then it's a 
we remove cards each and every round. And then they're sitting there with six of their values. And I talk to them. I talk them through that. So it's very personal. And it's a way that they themselves are getting to talk about what matters to them. Work-life balance or purpose. Success or recognition. Variety or job mobility. Those types of things. So those are real tactics that I use at any given day. And also... I'm aware of who is in our population here, whether or not because I've spent enough time here, I've spent enough time with them, I see them on social media. So it's easy for me to interact with them. Like, you can go beyond what did you do for Thanksgiving. You could say, hey, I noticed you were at a turkey farm for Thanksgiving, or I noticed you were throwing snowballs with what looked like a little kid. Is that your cousin? Or you were in, oh my God, you got a suntan. Where were you over Thanksgiving? It's just about being real and just being personal. Oh, there's another question there, but I want to draw Cody in a moment. Cody, do you have conversations like this more often in the locker room or somewhere other than the locker room that these kinds of conversations come up, the heart, when you get to that? Certainly in the locker room, my locker room, this is how it's all set out. Again, talking of lived values and lived behaviors. This is how I've tried to set up our organization as well in that anyone can bring any of this stuff and it's a little bit deeper than surface level. But I'm really, really glad that Claude circled back there on questions and the power of questions because her first statement at the very top of the show was around digging behind the words that someone was saying. And really what you're doing there is twofold you're lending someone your experience but again Claude talked about holding the space and allowing them to explore their own self-awareness with you in terms of what am I actually talking about here that's a big thing for me because I coach Australian football in Canada (laughs) the Canadian government thinks that we are rugby most people in the country think that we're rugby. They don't even know what sport I'm talking about unless they've stumbled home and turned on ESPN at 2 a.m. after a night at the bar and seen the game. And so when you start to think through what the athletes might be struggling with, they're struggling with just skill acquisition. Am I good enough? All these different things. And so when you start to open up questions and allow them to get to what their real fears are, what they're really saying behind words. Yeah, we talked about it earlier. That's where the real skill is. And that's not a, or how I've tried to do it, and I know how Claude has tried to do it, is create an environment of that. So it's not just one person. It's not just one coach that people can go to. It's everything. Everyone is involved in this. Everyone can ask the same questions. I think that's a much more safe environment for us to set up so that we can all help each other. The youngest player, the rookie can go to the veteran and the veteran can go to the rookie. And we're all using the same language and we all have the same safety. Yeah. I'm nodding my head so much there. And I just love what you said. For us, the water here is the same here as it is downstairs, as it is in London, as it is in LA, so forth and so on. And so, for example, when I meet, Harry yesterday who's been here 90 days and he's a brand new media analyst and I say to him hey Harry have you made any friends outside of your team no I haven't yet let me introduce you to 10 people random people 
and I want you to go and take them for coffee by the end of January. And I introduce Harry. Hey, Harry, my friend Harry, he plays stand-up bass. He's a media analyst on the Chase team. And I send him out to meet these 10 very random people that I'm literally selecting just based on vibe. You know, I mean, I did that twice yesterday with two different people. You know, I call them culture champions, but what they are, Vayner Media employees. <laughs> That's who they are. And what they are, human beings that are here and they are drinking the water, not the Kool-Aid. They have the same DNA. And I know, similar to what Cody was saying, is Harry can go to that person who's sitting right there or that person I just watched walk in the kitchen and have very similar conversations, different language, but similar conversations and come out still feeling mm. refreshed and like, yes, I made the right decision 90 days in. This is where I want to be. Okay. I want to invite you to unpack the difference between drinking the Kool-Aid and drinking the water. Well, I mean, we know about the Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> we, know, we know what happened in back in the Jim Jones day and that was toxic and that was fake. And that was based around a belief of one person, right. very much a dictatorship and water is free. And we all God willing have, water to drink every single day and it is something that is you don't have to be entitled or in a cult to drink the water it flows freely so a question to ask is about your culture of your organization you listening are you asking people to drink the water or drink the kool-aid right the kool-aid is we're going to force something on you and we want you to conform to our ways. Drink the Kool-Aid. I would go even a step further. Water flows freely, absolutely, but it also makes up a huge portion of us mm. as individuals. It's in every single one of us. That's the multiplier on it. We all have access to drink it, but then also it's actually in us. And, right. and that's the authenticity of it. Right. Good one. Good one. Yeah. Kool-Aid was looked real fun to drink and boy oh boy did it taste good because it was sweet but it was fake and phony yeah yeah okay i just couldn't let that pass love it it's just a beautiful observation you just kind of said it in passing there wow so i'm curious about this what do you notice about people coming into these environments that you're creating in two very different places but i would say the environments have a lot of similarity what do you notice about people when they come in and that's not the environment they've been schooled in before? It's not the environment they're escaping, perhaps, and hoping something's. What does it take for people to kind of shift and get comfortable with a trusting environment or a welcoming environment, a human environment? Well, we see that often because people are coming to us from other media or advertising agencies, which are very traditional in nature and, and they are reporting to holding companies and shareholders. So that's very different than an independent agency where you've got an HR driven CEO. And it's funny because sometimes Gary and I will laugh like, okay, it's going to take this person probably six to nine months to shake that rust off and believe us mm believe what we're saying that we are yes people that we give trust first not last you don't have to prove it as a matter of fact i said to someone today 
who just joined us last week from another media company, a very senior, senior person. And I said to him today, the value that you're bringing is the fact that you got in the door. Right there, your value is seen. You made it through. We want you here. You do not need to prove anything. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're looking for. And by the way, Mr. Senior Person, you're going to move the envelope slowly and slowly. We're probably not even going to see the effects for a year. So don't worry about it. You're here. Mm -hmm. Be here. Be with us. It's good. And that does take some time for people to really understand, like, it's good. And that's why I introduce Harry to 10 people and Sally to 10 people, because they will get that essence that it's good. Don't take my word. Don't take Gary's word. Go talk to people on the floor. Well, maybe Harry should meet Sally. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> wow, I think you should. Right that was sitting play. there the whole time. Oh my gosh! I didn't even go, Claude. I'm sorry. I didn't even think about that. Good one. You just set me up for the spike. I mean, it's just like I love it. I think to meet these people. Sally meets meet these people. That's the title of this podcast. When Harry met Sally. So, Cody, what is that like in your organization? Please don't use Harry and Sally. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. It's okay. Actually, I want to hook on to what. Claude was talking about there. I want to talk about it in a business sense as well, because I think it's more poignant and I want to hook onto the idea of recruiting. So I'm in the, the middle of writing my second book. I wrote the first book about the talent lessons we can take from sport, but you know, my corporate career has mostly been in the HR and recruitment space. And, and I wanted to really put a lens on that. And the thing that keeps coming back, over and over and over again is that lack of trust that exists even from those first conversations, even from, and this is what you and I talked about on our podcast, Claude, like the job description, we're lying to people in job descriptions. That is the first interaction that they have with an organization or with a job. And we're either reposting the last person's job description, which isn't the job anymore or we're beating it up, or we're telling people that we're growing when we're actually replacing. Things like that, why the millennial generation are kind of seen as disruptive, but really what they're doing is calling bullshit on those lies. You told me you were growing. You're actually replacing someone. It takes me five minutes when I get in the door on day one to realize that I was sold on this being a growth opportunity but I'm actually just taking on someone's job that quit because they hated the management or they moved on to something better or whatever it is. And so that distrust, we need to recognize that and accept it, but move forward past that and get closer to these upfront conversations like Claude's been talking about of how do we start the relationship on the right foot and think about it like dating. Cause if you tell someone you're six foot four and you make half a million dollars every year and you show up and you're five foot nine <laughs> and you work on minimum wage, it's going to be very apparent very early on that that relationship's not going to work because of that lie. And the workplace is exactly the same. Mm. That's what I was thinking as Claude was talking there is like recruitment is the perfect way to start because that is the core of all of this. Mm. Mm. Love it. And we did talk about this, but that is such a good shout out, which is 
how are we checking ourselves before we wreck ourselves so that that person that we've just sold that job to comes in feeling like they can be as expansive as possible rather than fitting into some mold and some chair that's already well-worn because that's just not fair. It's going to be very difficult for that person to progress in anything other than our sense of what their progression should be like. Because if they're coming in to fill Jack's spot, well, Jack did it this way. Well, that's not how Jack did it. I'm being really base about it. But then I think if we go back to the original concept that we were talking about, which is then help me get better. We need to make sure that we're coming from that authentic place of helping brand new Bruce get better, who we've never met before. Bruce is coming in and these are his strengths and his skills and these are the things that he can work on rather than trying to recreate the wheel, which we all do often. And one other thing I'm going to just jump in on is lately, something I've been noticing and I just was chatting with Gary about it the other day is we've been saying, gosh, we really need to hire more people like so-and-so. And yes, we love so-and-so's traits, but we want to hire someone that potentially looks different than so-and-so, might have similar values or strengths, but we want that person to be able to come in and have their entirely different code of many colors. So I want to ask something here. Do you believe, I love it that we just started with this, help me grow. Do you believe that from at least the worker's perspective, the air quotes around deal, the deal has changed to where they'll say, I'll stay with you, Mr. Ms. Employer, as long as you're helping me grow and helping me become the best version of me. But when you stop helping me grow, I start looking to go. I would say there's two parts to that there's we need to rethink this idea of kind of lifelong employment like a lot of the methodology kind of starts there in that we have this impression that someone needs to stay at an organization for x amount of time to have an impact so if we start to pull on that thread a little bit it really becomes how can i help this person right now and maybe momentarily in their life whether that's with us or not. And this is where the honest conversations come in is that if you help someone so much, it's possible that they outgrow your organization and you have nothing to offer them. In fact, a good coach should do that. That's their job to have their employees usurp, not just the current role, but probably get so good that they could go on to two levels above in the chain. And again, this is kind of the idea around just basic coaching. That's the job is to help people so much that they don't need you and make them so good that they probably don't need your company. Now that's a very lofty goal and potentially quite unrealistic, but we start to head in that direction. But it's the aspiration. Uh, Yeah. And, but it also keeps you honest because you can keep revisiting that. Are you making me better? I think that's a really good place to start is are we truly trying to do that for our people or am I scared for my role? So I'm not helping the people below me because I don't want them to take my job. That fear factor needs to be flipped on its head and it needs to be optimism and pushing other people. Maybe they leave, maybe they only stay a year, but if 
maybe you hire someone that's massively overqualified, but have that conversation with them and say, if you're going to leave us in one year, give me a year of your best stuff. I'm going to give you a year of leadership like you've never had. And my job is to make you stay, even if you're being underpaid at the end of that year. And if you shake on that, you give me a year, I'll give you a year, coach the hell out of them and see what happens. That's so much of a more positive path, I think, than what we currently have today. The whole thing is built on fear. Thoughts on that, Connor? We actually love the idea of people leaving and staying somewhat, leaving, by the way, and staying within our dotted line or our ecosystem. Because what happens when this person leaves, goes to another job, goes to another job, and then ends up the CMO of that Fortune 10 company. We know them. It's a great relationship to have. We love this idea of not only when people go, something I've probably talked to one of you or both of you about is we help people go and find their next job. We give people, many people, 30 days working notice here. They could sit right there and look on LinkedIn and apply to 20 jobs a day and we will help them. We will connect them with whomever Gary knows or I know whomever knows. So we actually want, I mean, healthy attrition to us is happy. Okay, I'm watching our time. We're almost out of time. There's one other question I want to explore, and that's different, but it's related. And that's for people that may be doing jobs similar to yours in their company or in their organization. And they're trying to figure out how do I create an environment where this kind of stuff happens because it's not happening now. Now, maybe they can't change the whole culture of the organization, but what can a person do to create an environment of that kind of care and connection to allow that kind of conversation that we've been talking about to happen? I'll talk about a a question for each manager because Claude can certainly talk to how to actually create it. And I'd love her thoughts on that. But from a leadership perspective, there's one question. Do I genuinely actually want that to happen. People are in leadership positions that potentially aren't leaders. They get there by tenure, which is the traditional way of doing it. There's a lot of military ideals in the corporate environment. I think the stat is that 50% of World War II veterans ended up in some sort of entrepreneurial endeavor. And so the whole idea around tenure moving up in rank has pushed people into leadership positions and we've also tied it to money. So do I genuinely want that to happen? And if not, is there a role for me where I can continue to contribute to what I want to happen within the organization? Can I move to some sort of position where maybe I don't have to coach day to day because I don't genuinely enjoy that? This whole conversation isn't to say that people that don't necessarily care as much as Claude and myself do don't have roles in organizations. They absolutely do. There are so many skillful people that just want to be individual contributors or work on a team of two. How do we set them up for success as well and move them out of those leadership positions where maybe they genuinely don't want to do it, but they're tied to the money? The money and the hierarchy. 
the money in the hierarchy. Absolutely. I think our next podcast, we can talk about what are the solutions so that they don't have to go into those roles where they just don't want to be. And by the way, they're not helping anyone, not even helping themselves. It's just taking up time and space. So that's another topic for another day. But I do think that, Kevin, the first way to create that culture is to be that person yourself. That's it. Please do not expect anyone else to do that for you. Don't expect HR. Don't expect Billy. Don't expect Bobby. Don't expect whatever, Harry or Sally. (laughs) You embody the change you want to see. Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. You be that person. And if you're unable to or it's just not in you, then do look for a mentor. Identify that person that you love. You're like, I'm into that. I want to be him. I want to be her. And suck on to that. And then, look, it only takes two people to have a meeting, to form a committee, to start this culture change. But be the change. Love it. Any final thoughts that you just want to drop in here before we hit stop? I'm good. Be the change. That's it for you. (laughs) Cody? I think we just need to book another episode and uh, do this again. That's my final thought because I think let's clear a little bit more time on the calendar. I think we could go really deep on this stuff and really help some people. So, Well, let's do that. And for now, thanks for joining. And thank you for sitting at the table with us and engaging in this conversation. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for bringing us together. Well, thank you, Claude. Thank you, Cody, for joining us today. I love the real-time, real-life aspect and dimensions of this conversation. When we met in the Zoom room, it was late in the day, and we actually had a different direction planned for the conversation. But when we connected, I asked Claude, hey, is there a theme you've noticed in your conversations lately? And she mentioned this, this theme of help me grow. I turned to Cody and said, hey, is that something you've been noticing as well? And he said, it's always a topic he's exploring with both the athletes and the business leaders he coaches. So I'm wondering, what about you? Are you seeing and hearing this same theme? Are the people around you, whether they're working for you as direct reports, whether they're peers, colleagues, or whether just your friends, do you see this hunger to help me grow, help me improve? If so, I'm wondering, how do you create an environment that allows and inspires people to bring their best selves to work and to work on becoming better versions of their best self. And that's a quest we all share, I believe, at least those of you listening to this. So while we're at it, let me ask you this. How do you do that for yourself? And what are you doing to grow, to improve, to become the best you you are capable of becoming in this decade of difference. Stop comparing, competing with others, and focus on becoming the best you you are capable of and making a difference for those in your orbit. Hey, I'd love to know what's rolling through your mind, resonating in your heart. You can email me, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. You can call or text me, 678-744-5111. And feel free to go to Kevin, 
dmonroe.com slash decade to join one of these small group Decade of Difference conversations I'm hosting. Hey, until we connect again, and I hope it's sooner rather than later, keep taking your next step on the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. It is making a difference for you and those around you. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.